Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 25, the Lord speaks to his people, Judah. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Well, did you hear about the big football game that pitted the animals against the insects? That's right. There was a big gridiron clash. The animals versus the insects. Two squads gathered together on the field in a real grudge match. Well, dressing out for the elephants that day, I mean for the animals that day, was the elephant and the lion and the tiger And the bear, while suiting up for the insects, was the firefly, and the flea, and the gnat, and the butterfly, the battling butterflies. Well, you can imagine the outcome. The game started out dominated by the animals. Every time the elephant ran the ball, he gained 40, 50 yards, a whack. The lions swept around the end for touchdown after touchdown. And the defense for the insects was, well, as weak as a flea. The offense, though, was no better. Every time the yellow jacket dropped back to pass, he was sacked by a bulldog. (laughs) Oops. Oh, my. Sorry about that. That just slipped out. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry about that. Well, the halftime score, animals 70, insects zero. Of course, you'd figure the animals would have the game locked up. I mean, 70 to zip. A halftime lead, 70 to zip. That would be insurmountable. But at the start of the second half, an amazing thing happened. A brand new player entered the game for the insects, the centipede. And the centipede's impact was both dramatic and immediate. Everything the centipede did went unimpeded. He ran back the opening kickoff for a touchdown. Every time he carried the ball, he scored. No one could tackle him. He ran, he passed, he blocked. This centipede was incredible. And on defense, every time the elephant touched the ball, the centipede would break through the line of scrimmage and would tackle him for a loss. This centipede dominated the second half and led the insects in a dramatic come-from-behind victory. The final score, animals 70, insects 77. Incredible. Well, after the game, the elephant and the lion, they were just curious. They asked the flea, they said, hey, that centipede, he's quite a football player. He said, why didn't he play in the first half? And that's when his teammate answered, he said, well... It takes a centipede a whole half just to tie his shoes. (laughs) It takes a centipede a whole half just to lace up his shoes. Wow. It's a tough crowd. 
As it turned out, that football playing centipede was a big bad bug. And in the days of the prophet Joel, the nation of Judah likewise faced a big bad bug. Not a centipede, mind you, but a plague of swarming grasshopper-like locusts. In a day before pesticides, in a day before the orchid man, a blight of locusts had swept across the southern kingdom of Judah. These locusts, they devastated fig trees and barley fields and vineyards. They consumed the crops that dotted the Judean countryside. They crippled the economy of God's people. You know, once I went to a Bible conference in Nashville, Tennessee. While there, I learned that once every 14 years or so, Nashville gets plagued by locusts. The eggs incubate in the ground for 14 years, and then they hatch, and all of a sudden, locusts swarm the streets. I mean, you walk down the sidewalk, and the little critters smack you in the face. They bugged me the whole trip. A locust is a dull yellow or red-colored insect, like a short, plump grasshopper. They're about three inches long, and their antennae uh, stretch out another inch or so. Locusts travel at tremendous speeds, and they are most known for their ferocious appetite. A swarm of locusts resembles a black cloud moving over the landscape. The insects will strip every green plant of their vegetation. They leave nothing behind. Locusts will even eat the bark off the trees. The locusts have a nickname. They're called hunger incarnate. Old Testament scholar Charles Feinberg writes, Locusts have been known to devour every green herb and every blade of grass in an area of almost 90 square miles so that the ground gave the appearance of having been scorched by fire. Trust me, if any of us had ever had to endure a plague of locusts, we too would have been bugged. It amazes me the damage just a little bug can do. I used to own a sizable sports memorabilia collection. I had several Braves programs and yearbooks from the 1960s, their inaugural seasons in Atlanta. I had some mint, copy, mint copies of uh, Sports Illustrated. I had some clippings from some Atlanta newspapers that documented the major sporting events through the mid-70s. Man, I had a, it was quite an extensive collection. And for several years, I stored it in some cardboard boxes in the basement of my parents' house. When it got time to get the boxes out and show my kids, I made a startling discovery. Sadly, termites had eaten away many of my prized keepsakes. Just eaten them up. Big bag bugs had devastated my collection and I think cost me a fortune. It reminds me of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Termites too. And this is what happened to Judah in the days of Joel. Not termites, not centipedes, but locusts were the culprits. Joel chapter 1 verse 4 describes the total devastation that occurred around Jerusalem. He says, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. 
And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Remember America's Dust Bowl days in the mid-30s? Drought and pestilence and high winds devastated the continent's heartland. Midwestern farmers, they upped and they left the land where they had been born, where they had loved ones buried. They moved west in search of survival. Once rich, fertile farmland became worthless dust. You see, this was the condition in the land of Judah in the days of the prophet Joel. And interestingly enough, this is also a picture that resembles the condition of many people's spiritual life. For a similar phenomenon can occur in a person's heart. Drought creates parched ground. And big, bad bugs can eat away at our innocence and our joy and our contentment and our faith and our peace of mind. You see, there are locusts in life that eat up opportunities and dry up time and gnaw away at our conscience and wreck relationships and chew away at our reputation. Notice in this morning's text, there are four types of locusts mentioned. The chewing locusts, the swarming locusts, the crawling locusts, and the consuming locusts. Now, Bible scholars suggest that these could be four different insects. Others suggest that they could be references to various stages in the growth and development of a locust. But the point for us is the same. Either way, locusts come in various types. And the same is true about the locusts in our lives. Difficult circumstances come from different sources. It may surprise you, but at times God himself sends the locusts into our lives. He allows the trials and the testings. This was the case with the locusts in Joel's day. You remember God called them his army. The trouble the nation experienced was a wake-up call from God to his people. Trials, too, teach us vital lessons. God uses them to stretch and strengthen our faith. Other locusts in our life are the result of the evil in the world. The persecution that comes against us. Abuse and disease and spiritual attacks are all the aftermath of Adam's fall, Adam's sin. These evils are still around today. We can't escape them. In fact, God even uses the evil in the world to teach us to trust in his spirit. Through faith, we learn to overcome these locusts. And some locusts, they just swarm in out of nowhere. There's really no good explanation for them. Or better yet, the reason is hidden from our narrow, earthbound perspective. Surely God has a reason for everything he does. But as in the story of Job, he doesn't always communicate that reason to us. Faith doesn't always get a reason. Reminds me of the guy who visited his friend. The doorbell rang. His friend opened the door and into the room walked this man followed by a huge dog. Well, as the two friends began to talk, the dog went on a rampage. He knocked over the lamp and he jumped up on the sofa with his muddy paws and he started gnawing on one of the pillows. Finally, the owner of the home, he had all he could take and he rebuked his buddy. He said, look, friend or no friend, you, you need to control your dog. Look at the mess he's making. Well, his friend kind of looked at him with this puzzled expression on his face, and he said, what do you mean, my dog? 
I thought he was your dog. The dog was neither man's fault. Was it his dog or the host's dog? No one knew who the dog was. And sometimes stuff happens in our lives. And we don't know whose fault it is. Where it came from. We don't know where the locust originated. And you know in those cases it really doesn't matter. We just need to trust the Lord to repair the damage. But I got to admit to you this morning. Most of the time in my life. The locusts that come into my life, they aren't coming from God, nor are they the result of evil in the world, and they certainly aren't swarming in out of nowhere. Hey, the locusts in my life are my own fault. They're the result of some sin in my life, some lack of faith. When I think back on the damage that's been done and the opportunities that have been wasted and the blessings that have been squandered and the hurt and pain that I've caused myself and others, I've got to confess that more often than not, it's because of me and my own sin. I can't blame it on anybody else. You know, sin always has consequences. Galatians 6 verse 7 reminds us, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You see, you don't sow apple seeds and then get pear trees or grape vines. No, you sow apple seeds, you get apple trees. It's a law of nature that can't be violated. It holds true in the natural world as well as in the spiritual world. God is not mocked. A person always reaps what they sow. If you choose to go your own way and to sin against God, you're sowing seeds that will eventually sprout trouble and heartache. Those seeds may not come up tomorrow or the next month or even the next year. Remember, you don't always reap in the same season that you sow. But trust me, those seeds, they will sprout. Reminds me of the father out west whose son was busy sowing his wild oats. They lived out on the ranch, and the boy would drive into town and get into trouble. Well, to make a point to his son, each time the boy broke a rule, the father, he would drive a nail into the hitching post that was out by the barn. Over time, that post filled up with nails. Eventually, the boy got into serious trouble, and he was sentenced to prison. He served five years behind bars. But when he got out, his father wanted to show his son forgiveness and encourage him with a fresh start. And so one night, the two of them, they walked out by the barn to that hitching post. And one by one, the father removed those nails from the wood. It was a powerful demonstration of forgiveness. But what brought tears to the son's eyes was the sight of the hitching post once all the nails had been removed. The nail holes were still there. You see, the sin had been forgiven, but the scars remained. You know, I look at my life, and I thank God for His mercy and His grace. He has forgiven me fully and freely. I appreciate the new start that I have in Jesus. But you know, some of the scars still remain. Today, ask any little boy to name his favorite baseball player, and he'll probably answer Josh Hamilton, or Derek Jeter, or even Chipper Jones. But in my day, the answer to that question for most kids would have been Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. Boy, Mickey Mantle, wow. He was a five-tool star. 
He could run and throw and field and hit for average and hit with power. He had monster home runs. He could crunch a baseball. Mickey could have been the best player ever. The best player the game had ever seen if he hadn't have wasted away his health on booze and alcohol. See, just before he died, after doing a stint at a clinic for alcohol abuse, Mickey Mantle went public with his terrible story. In a moving press conference with Bob Costa, the once great player, he admitted ruining his body and shattering his mental health and shortening his career. He made this statement. He said, my manager, Casey Stingle, said when I came up, this guy is going to be better than Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth. It didn't happen. God gave me a great body to play with, and I didn't take care of it. Worse is what he admitted about his relationships. He said, one of the things I messed up besides baseball was being a father. I wasn't a good family man. You see, by his own admission, Mickey Mantle was the poster boy for the person who throws away God-given talent and wastes precious opportunities and squanders the many blessings that God had given him. You know, when I think of the damage that the locusts have done in my life, all of the what-ifs and the could-have-beens and the might-haves and the never-wills, you know, it really bugs me too. Once D.L. Moody, he came home from a meeting and his wife asked him, how many people were saved tonight? He answered, two and a half she said, oh, you mean two adults and one child? He said, oh, no, I mean two children and one adult. The children had their whole life to live for the Lord and to serve the Lord, while the adult had wasted years that he would never get back. You know, when I looked inside my box of sports memorabilia and I saw the damage done, I was grieved. And it's the same feeling I have when I think of the poor use I've made of the blessings and the gifts that God has given me. When I see the damage that the locusts have done, it grieves my heart and it brings tears to my eyes. Often people ask me, do you have any regrets? And my answer is always, of course I do. Of course I have regrets. Who doesn't have regrets? If you're honest, you'll admit you've got some regrets as well. We all have regrets. Let me ask you, what are the regrets in your life? Maybe a failed marriage. Maybe mistakes that you've made with your kids. Maybe hurt and pain you've caused the people you've loved. Maybe a chance to witness for Christ that you've let slip away. Or a business opportunity you didn't take advantage of because you didn't have faith enough to take that step. Maybe it was a special prompting from God that would have deepened your faith or taught you his word or given you a place to serve, but you ignored it. You just walked right past it. Well, if you have a few regrets, let me share with you an exciting promise. I mean a thrilling promise. It comes straight from the throne of God. There's not a more encouraging promise in all of the Bible than what we have here in Joel chapter 2, verse 25. God says to his people both then and now, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust is eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. Catch the implication. It doesn't matter what caused this damage. 
The reason for your loss is irrelevant to the restoration that God wants to work in your life. The locust might be the result of God's trial or the evil in the world or some unknown reason or even your own past sin. But no matter its cause, if your life belongs to God, he promises you a total restoration. Look at what this meant for Judah, the Jewish nation. Verse 26. God tells them through the prophet Joel, You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Imagine looking out over those ravaged and barren fields. And then reading this verse. God is promising the impossible. In the end you'll eat plenty and you'll be satisfied. Yes, years of prosperity and happiness had been lost to the locusts. Oh yes. Look in the annals of history and you'll see that there have been plagues of locusts that actually lasted up to 20 years. Two decades could get chewed up and spit out. But God promises us in the amount of time that we have left to bless us with a bumper crop of his blessing that will more than make up for whatever it is that we've lost. That's amazing. This is what God promises to people who commit their lives to him. Hey, you know, maybe you didn't make that commitment. Maybe you didn't devote your life to Jesus until you were 50 or 60 years old. And you've mourned your late in life decision to follow Jesus. But you know, God is telling us he's able to take whatever time you have left and make your final years as productive as a lifetime of faithful living. He restores the years that have been eaten away. I love the story of the teenager who was mowing lawns in his neighborhood to make some spending money. He was going door to door looking for jobs. At one house, a woman answered the door and when he explained his purpose, she answered him. She says, oh no thanks, my husband always mows our lawn. But just as the door shut, the boy heard a knocking on the upstairs window. A man opened it and he feathered down a little note to the boy. It read, Lawnmower is in the garage. Be here every Tuesday at 1 o'clock p.m. before my wife comes home. $20 under the doormat. Shh. Here's the moral of that story. What we thought was a closed door may not be so closed after all. Even after you think an opportunity's been slammed shut in your face, think again. For God has ways of opening new doors. Oftentimes, even better doors. You remember Moses? Moses tried to deliver the Hebrews by his own hand, and he failed miserably, fell flat on his face, got banished from Egypt. God shut the door on Moses for 40 long years. God took him to the backside of the desert to humble the man. Moses didn't begin his ministry of deliverance until he was 80 years old. But he accomplished more in his last 40 years than he did in his first 80 years. It was never too late. You remember Samson? Oh, how the mighty man has fallen. At one point in his life, God used Samson to kill a thousand Philistines. But Samson let compromise choke out his commitment to God. 
He wound up on display in the temple of the Philistines. He was mocked and ridiculed. And yet Samson prayed for one final surge of supernatural power. When the Spirit of God came upon him, he pulled the temple's pillars and he killed more in his dying than he had done in his living. It wasn't over for Samson. You remember Job? The locust in his life ate everything Job possessed. He lost his kids, his wealth, his reputation, his health. And yet after his ordeal, God saw to it to bless him with twice as much as he had possessed before. God not only restored what the locust had eaten, he offered Job a two for one. He blessed Job with twice what he had had before. And of course, remember Peter. Three times he denied his Lord in Jesus' most critical hour. Even after the resurrection, I'm sure Peter thought that his Christian life and ministry were toast. After what he'd done, how would the Lord ever want his help again? But on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, the risen Lord Jesus appeared to Peter and reinstated a humbled, broken servant Three times, and don't miss that number, three times he denied him, but three times Jesus came back and reinstated him to ministry. If you love me, Peter, feed my sheep, he told him. God still had great things and open doors for Pete. You see, guys, there's nothing too hard for God. Nothing. He can restore broken relationships. Relationships so fractured that you thought they could never be revived. God can restore them. Hey, if God created a business opportunity for you once, don't you think he can do it again? If he called you to a particular ministry once, he can repeat that calling just like he did with Peter. If he can do it for Peter, he can do it for you. God can restore lost talents and lost years and lost calling and lost opportunities. Charles Spurgeon explained, lost years can never be restored literally. Time once passed is gone forever. You cannot have back your time. But there is a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings, the unripened fruits of years over which you mourned. The fruits of wasted years may yet be yours. Our sovereign God does have strange and wonderful ways in which he works. Here's one of God's strange and wonderful ways. There's a dentist who lives in Overland Park, Kansas. His name is Dr. Kim. He became my dentist in a strange and wonderful way orchestrated by God. One year, I spoke at a leadership conference in Kansas. And after the study, a couple approached me for prayer. They were trying to have a baby, and for some reason, they couldn't. And so I prayed for the couple. Well, the next year, I was invited back to the conference. And I was met by the same couple and their new arrival. God had heeded our prayer and had given them a baby. It was a tremendous blessing to cradle an answer to prayer. The fellow then announced that he was a dentist. And if I ever needed any dental work, give him a call. Well, at the time, it had been about eight, maybe ten years since I'd seen a dentist. <sighs> and my mouth was a mess. I had two cracked teeth, no telling what else. 
I just couldn't afford to go see a dentist, and so I didn't go. I had, had, I had let plenty of time go by for the chewing locusts to wreak havoc in my mouth. You know about those chewing locusts? Chewing locusts are the dentist's best friend. They're the chewing locusts. And I thought I was way too far behind to ever catch up. But you know, God has strange and wonderful ways. I flew to Kansas, had my teeth cleaned, got a root canal, got fitted for two crowns, and it was free. Dr. Kim even fed me that night and let me stay in his house until I could fly back the next morning. Seldom you get that kind of treatment from a dentist. The years I lost to the locusts, God restored to me in 48 hours. And all it cost me was a discounted airfare to Kansas. You see, God wants to work in your life in strange and wonderful ways that you can't even imagine right now. He wants to work in your life to restore to you that untapped potential and that thrown away opportunity and that set aside talent and those ignored gifts, and those neglected callings, and even restore your abused body, even restore your cracked teeth. He has ways that are strange and wonderful. He'll make up for the foolishness of your youth, or the impulsiveness of your decisions, or the weakness and fickleness of your commitments, or the frailty of your flesh. All you have to do is to give to him what's left of your life right now, today. You see, stop trying to dig yourself out of the hole yourself. Just stop trying to dig yourself out. You need to just take whatever's left of the mess you've made in your life and just give it to God today wholeheartedly, unreservedly. God will take it once he receives it. And he will turn it into a bumper crop of blessing. As God said to the nation Judah, You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. Oh, you'll be put to the test. Yes, you will. You'll be put through the fire. Yep. But you will never be put to shame. Never. Not if your life belongs to God. In the end, God's plan for you is restoration. If the locusts in your life are there because of your own sin, then confess what you've done. Own your sin. Take responsibility for it. You need to repent. You need to ask God for forgiveness and the power to change, and He will give you both. But remember, even if it is your fault, God still wants to repair the damage. He still wants to restore. He still wants to do something about the consequences of your foolishness. Did you know God can undo a lot of what you've done? He can, and he will. Most of you know I'm a big John Wayne fan. Yes, I am. I love John Wayne. I love the old Duke. There's a line from one of his westerns. I think it's Big Jake. I think that's where it was. He's trying to retrieve his grandson from kidnappers. And he's got this gun. He points it right at the bad guy. And, and he says to him something like this. Hear me, mister. It doesn't matter if it's your fault or if it's my fault or if it's his fault. If you make one wrong move, 
I'm going to blow your head off. Just says it just the way John Wayne can say it. It's wonderful. Wonderful. But here's how I hear God speaking to us this morning. I don't know if he's using John Wayne's voice or not, but maybe. That's how you hear it. But, but I want you to hear what God is saying to us this morning. He's saying the same thing to us, but in reverse. This morning, the Lord Jesus is saying to you and me, Listen, mister. Listen, missus. It doesn't matter if it's your fault or his fault or my trial. If you'll make just one right move, I'm going to bless your socks off. That's right. How about that? Will you humble yourself and make that one move today? Will you confess your faults and give the Lord all that's left? Once you do, you'll begin to see God work in strange and wonderful ways to restore all that the big bad bugs have eaten and taken from you. Isn't it time for us to have some faith? Faith.